Engineers Without Borders UK are working to reach the tipping point to ensure a safe and just future for all. Part of a global movement of over 60 Engineers Without Borders organisations, they inspire, upskill and drive change in the engineering community and together take action to put global responsibility at the heart of engineering. Welcome to the Materials Inside podcast by Goodfellow the podcast that will bring materials knowledge, science and engineering together in the same podcast. Goodfellow is a UK company based in Huntingdon that supplies over 70,000 materials to different industries all around the world. Their team of scientists, engineers, sales and marketing experts want to make the materials world accessible to everyone. During the next few months, we will be talking about materials from aluminium to zinc for applications from satellites to planes, cars and ventilators, pieces of art and furniture. The range of guests from industry professionals, public figures, engineers and Goodfellow's own experts. These include series regulars Aphrodite Tomu, Goodfellow's technical manager, who's a material scientist and engineer holding a PhD in nanocomposites and a master's in nanomaterials and metal thin films, and Adam Sells, sales manager with a degree in chemistry responsible for a team of business development managers working with customers around the world. Materials Inside, with Goodfellow's backing, will be supporting a charity throughout each series. Welcome back to the Materials Inside podcast. In this episode, we are going to be exploring the world of hybrid vehicles. For those of you listening in on your usual podcast directory, for the first time ever, we are filming the podcast live by the trackside at Croft Circuit. You can find the link to the video in the podcast description or find us on YouTube by searching for Goodfellow Materials. Later, we will be joined by Steve Brady, who is an engineer for the BTC team. Later, we will be joined by Steve Brady, who is an engineer for the BTC team. You may remember us talking to Steve on our BTC episode from September 2021, so it will be good to catch up with him on the team's progress. We will also be joined by Peter Riches, TOKA Technical Director. Having worked within the BTCC since 1993, Peter has a wealth of technical knowledge and expertise which can only come from decades of experience. Some of the questions asked today have been sent in by George Bradner, who you may remember from our episode 23, all about BTC Racing Team. You can find the link to George's blog in the podcast description. But first, let me introduce you to my colleague, Mark Daniels. Mark has recently joined the Goodfellow team as our CRM manager but is also passionate about vehicles and the BTCC. Mark also guest presented last month's Materials Inside podcast on artificial intelligence. He will also be guest presenting on this episode. Over to you, Mark. Thanks, Peter. Yep, it's great to be here at Croft Circuit today. I'm Mark, I'm Goodfellow's CRM and data manager, but I'm here because I'm a massive motorsport fan and I'm looking forward to interviewing Steve Brady, who is Jason Plato's engineer at BTC Racing, and Peter Ritchie, who's the chief technical engineer for TOKA, who looks after all of the regulations for technology in the British Touring Car Championships. Steve, lovely to uh, lovely to meet you. Nice to be here at Croft Racing Circuit, which is uh, a bit windy today. Yeah, there's a lot of wind today, and more expected later, apparently. Oh, really? So it's going to will that affect the cars at all? 
Uh, yeah, the change of direction through, especially through the chicane, we yeah. see um, quite a lot of unsettling with the bus three winds. So. Oh, fabulous. Well, look, before we get started, I've got a few questions to ask you for the uh, for the podcast. But can you tell me a little bit more about yourself first? Uh, my name's Steve Brady. I'm the race engineer with BTZ Racing. Uh, on race weekends, I concentrate on Jason Plato's car. Fabulous. And how's Jason doing this season? Uh, it's a new beginning for him and the new team, and we're um, working through settling him into the cars, but we've shown some good speed at times and quite happy with the results so far. A little bit to work on, though. <laughs> Excellent. Well, look, we last spoke with you, I think, in September 2021, um, and the BTC team was sort of moving towards hybrid engines. How's that going? It's been a long development time, I think, getting everything installed properly, but we're very happy with the outcome now and having a reliable time with it. A reliable time with it. Yeah, it was um, a tough start getting a new systems integrated into the cars and learning how they all work together. But now we're um, happy with it and we've had um, reasonable good results with it. Excellent. And how does that differ in terms of your cars versus what we would drive as a hybrid car at home? Um, ours is based on performance alone, so we have it on a button to deploy, so we're using it as an extra 30 horsepower, where at home people are using it to make the first 30 miles of their journey free of charge. <laughs> do you charge them up sort of by plugging them in, or do they still work off a regen system? Uh, we do both, so we charge them up before they leave, and then we're regening on track as well. So we regen, every time we come off throttle, we are regening as well. So aside from like fuels, etc., what's actually mechanically different between an electric car, a hybrid car, and then normal internal combustion engines? A uh, normal combustion engine is traditionally what we all know, um, running petrol or diesel just alone. A hybrid adds an electric option to it, normally putting an extra motor in the car somewhere, either powering another wheel or powering into the gearbox. And a full electric is just purely electric motors. Yes. Some run out of power, some can carry on driving, and some drive for a part of the time and run out of fuel later. <laughs> Excellent. And, and how, in terms of materials, what's different in a, a hybrid vehicle versus a normal internal combustion engine? Uh, a lot of the differences come from the power source, obviously with the petrol engines and the diesel you've got a tank carrying fuel with the batteries, the technologies of developing really quickly in the batteries. These are lithium based batteries we've got in our cars which is a very um, reactive material. So then we've got big safety structures around them to make sure that they're safe and that's the, the main problem is just making sure that the lithium is safe in the car. So when you say reactive does that mean explosive or, or other reactions? We haven't found out yet, <laughs> and we're hoping not to, but um, yeah, it's a very combustible material. Um, it takes a while to ignite when it goes, but once it goes, it's very hard to put out, and luckily no one in the championship has had to deal with that yet. No. Well, that's good, that's good. Now, in motorsport, we're all aware of cost and the, the development cost and keeping costs down where we can, especially at this time. Are we seeing any improvement in efficiency and costs with development of hybrid, or is that adding an extra cost? It's adding a small cost now, which should pay off in the long run to make life better. But the whole point of it is to, is to help the environment, help the um, efficiency of the world and remove um, fossil fuels is the main target. Yeah. And in terms of that, so you mentioned fossil fuels. Isn't it this year now 20% of fuel is sustainable? Yeah, they've increased the sustainable amount. And I can see that getting further and further down the line as it, as it progresses. And we've still perform, got the same performance from our engine with 20% sustainable introduced. So so what, what what is the difference between sustainable fuels and fossil fuels? It's grown. I think it comes from the crops and converted in. So they can grow, grow it every year and convert it into a fuel as, as combustible as the oil that we're digging out of the ground. Do you think that will make its way to road cars? I think the E10's already come in with an extra 5%. Um, 
it's okay for us building a brand new car to deal with the 20% extra. The problem is dealing with the older vehicles on the road and allowing them to run on a more sustainable fuel. Yeah, the old moving from four star to unleaded theory. It was a big problem converting your head seats and all the rest of it. I think it was a small problem compared to changing all of the rubber seals in your engine and yeah. all the rubber pipes which are getting corroded by this new fuel. So it's um, going to be a slow changeover on that. But they'll do it. The, the scientists will find a way, I'm sure, at some point. It's an interesting one because obviously from a road car perspective, quite often you think that motorsport technology bleeds down into road cars, but your hybrid systems, as you already said, are different to road cars themselves. But how do you think that sustainable fuels with the advent of going fully electric from 2030, do you think that will just disappear or do you think that will still be something that we'll be working towards for classic cars? I'm hoping they'll find something for the classic route and go that and make that available. I hope they also change to zero emission cars rather than just electric or whichever route they believe is going to come. There's many fuel sources out there. So when you say zero emission versus just electric, I think a lot of people think a battery electric vehicle is zero emission. What do you mean by zero emission? Um, there's hydrogen fuel coming through which would be, um, is only producing water and then this other the sustainable fuel has also got a lot less emissions coming through it than the oil fuel, the um, additives in there are less reactive when they burn so less chemicals hitting the environment. Yeah. So in, in that term, one of the things we all like about motorsport is noise. If we're all going in the direction of hybrid electric, does sustainable fuel still give us the noise that we want or is, it going, is motorsport just going to get quieter and quieter? I believe there's not many options, there? there's a few hydrogen cars coming into Le Mans now and if they run a combustion hydrogen engine then we'll get the noise. If they run a um, power cell car then maybe not and it's like a little generator running electric motors. People want the noise. So. Yeah, we, we, we all want the noise, we don't want it to sound like scale electric but it's the direction we've got to go. In terms of lessons learned from these materials and the hybrid in general, what, what have you learned from lessons or what has been the most surprising thing this year in moving hybrid? Oh, there's been lots of surprises, unfortunately, with this, these systems. Um, it's how well it does work when it is working and the power boost we've got from it. We can drive our cars around on electric now and then fire the engines up and drive off in, in petrol. Okay, so if the car's out there, can it go through the pit lane on electric and then, and then out to the circuit? Yeah, we can drive down the pit lane, we can recover the car on electric. If the car won't start, we've brought it in for half a lap, just purely on the hybrid on the hybrid motor, as it would in the road car driving down the road, and we can sit at about 25, 30 mile an hour on our hybrid hybrid motor alone. Yeah. So it gives us more options on what's available to us. Um, in terms of other materials that are coming to your development, has there been anything that surprised you or anything new that's coming that you, you find will be used in the future? Uh, there's more sustainable materials coming through. The, some of the carbon fibre cars are now starting to become um, reconstituted materials and grow materials rather than the carbon options. And yeah, the sustainability is the key to it. And the championship's going sustainable. We're trying to remove single-use plastics, which is then introducing um, the more same or the bamboos and yeah. things like that. I've seen things come through of what they're integrating into the um, carbon, carbon kind of structures into the composite side of things. Uh, it's a slow world on that. The, the materials come along fast, but the actual rate that we start using them at seems to be um, a little bit slower to transition. And how is the, the, this sort of development and these new materials, the hybrids, etc., how's that affecting racing? Do you think it's improving it, reducing it? What do you think is happening out there? 
it's saving the world rather than improving the racing. As I said, the cars are getting quieter, but the world's getting better. As long as we keep the racing as good as it is, then if we're saving the world at the same time, then it's got to be an advantage. Saving the world and entertaining people still, keeping us all thrilled. That's the important bit. We've had a couple of other questions in from George that, say, that says, what kind of improvements have you found as a team in the development of hybrid cars? Uh, it's... It's given us more power at different places on the track, so then we've had to develop the setup to deal with the um, extra boost and the extra performance that we gain from it. But it's also increased the weight. The cars are heavier with the hybrid systems involved, so then that's changed the way the cars handle in the corners, so we've had to adapt and control what we're doing with that. And how are the drivers finding it? They're having to adapt heavily to this, or does, they, does their style still remain the same? Jason himself, how's he, how's he finding the change to hybrid? I thought it would take him longer to change over than it has. They got very used to hitting the button at the correct time and very used to the weight on board. I thought there'd be a lot more mishits of the hybrid deployment or a little bit more excitement in the races just to use it all up in one go, but they are very controlled with it and really integrated into the um, new championship and the way it goes and the professionalism of their stance. Excellent. No, that's great. And last question here. How do you see the steps that BTCC are taking uh, improving life for the consumer and the roads? Do you think that's going to help them? I believe that we've got to go hybrid and the racing's got to go hybrid so people at home want to go hybrid. It's all very well and good watching a Formula 1 car on TV running on normal petrol and then being told you need to drive electric at home. So we need to be showing the way that it can be done, you can go fast, you can go reliable with these these um, new technologies. Making, making hybrid and electric more exciting is going to drive the consumer's interest in it further. The people who watch racing want exciting cars, so that's that's the marketplace we're aiming for, yeah. and that's what we've got to do. Steve, thank you so much for your time. It's been fabulous to have you on the podcast. I'm looking forward to seeing the racing later, and hopefully the wind won't affect you too much. Yeah, it's going to make it interesting, but we should have a good day's racing. All the best. Take care. Thank you. At Goodfellow, we are passionate about innovation, discovery, and progress. If you would like to learn more about what we can offer, head over to goodfellow.com or connect to us on LinkedIn. All the links you need will be in the podcast description. Now, I'll hand you back over to Mark as he meets Peter Riches, Toka Technical Director. Peter, good afternoon. Thanks for joining us at uh, Crofter. Well, you're here already. We're the ones visiting. You've been here since Thursday. It's a little cold and chilly today as well, a bit windy. Has it been like yeah, that the rest of the weekend? It's been off and on. I don't think we've had jackets off all weekend, to be honest. Really? I'm, I'm braving it then. Yeah, you are, yes. Yeah. <laughs> the hoodie maybe not geared up to motor racing where you need Wellington boots, heavy jackets sun cream all in the same weekend. No, not, 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 not all the time, <laughs> yeah. not all the time. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Can you, before we sort of get into the questions I've got for you, can you um, give me a little bit of introduction about yourself, your background and how you're involved in what you do today? Yeah, I'm a British Touring Car Technical Director. Uh, this is my 30th season. Uh, I'm uh, responsible for writing the technical rules, policing the technical rules, uh, looking after all the onboard data systems, the onboard judicial camera systems and generally anything with the championship that's technical so all the communication systems between the marshals race control and all that which we bring with us um every, everything if it, if it ends up in technical it ends up in my court <laughs> i mean right around this circuit there are because this circuit doesn't have, have uh, track lights yet uh we bring our own track lights and we put them up we have to do that as well, do my boys. So, right, okay. so you hence, do, do hence you the 40-foot trailer full of stuff that we yeah, bring with us. Absolutely, that's brilliant. Yeah. And, and on technical, hybrid falls under your Yeah, remit? hybrid comes under me. Okay, yeah. so yeah. were you involved in the, uh, the the technical reasons or the practical reasons or the financial reasons for going hybrid this year? Well, the, the, the 
The commercial reason for doing it is British Touring Cars has always tried to be at the front of developments and, and over the years we were the first series to run catalysts um, and things like that so it was time to move forward uh, following the road car trends uh, going towards hybrid. Now I know we, we said pre-recording that the, the hybrid technology here is not the same as a road car hybrid technology but how does it work in BTCC? Uh, our hybrid drives off the gearbox, charges a 48 volt um, battery and it's designed very much as a, a push to pass or a push to get alongside system okay. so that in, in a lap uh, they get 15 seconds of hybrid use. Okay, and is that all used up in one go? That, that, that they can use where they like on, on a lap and when they come past the start line we automatically reset it so they right. get another 15 seconds. So, so if they don't use it at all in a lap? They've lost it. They've lost it. Yeah. Okay. Um, having said that, if you're leading the championship you can't. You get a penalty by or, or a, a handicap of not having be able to use it every lap. Like the old success ballast. Yep. If you were leading the championship, you you were a heavier car. Now you have less laps of hybrid, oh, okay. or in qualifying, less seconds of hybrid. Right. So okay. the guy leading the championship in qualifying, for example, gets no hybrid. The guy leading the championship in the race or winning races two or three gets no hybrid in the race. Anybody over 11th gets the full 15 seconds oh, wow. on so, every lap. So, um, so the guy that's sort of leading, he's carrying the weight of the batteries, but doesn't have the that's ability. It. Yeah, he doesn't right. have the ability, okay. yeah. and that doesn't come to him at all in the race. No. So I was going to say, is it around the regulations, what makes it unique? So is this, is there any other regulation that sort of affects the driver around hybrid? Uh, not really. We've made it as simple as possible. He has one button to press. Right. <laughs> which then lights up on the screen and says he's on hybrid and has a countdown on seconds um, and then when he lets go it stops I and mean, if he presses it again um, he gets the rest of the seconds that are left however if he presses it too early because you can't use it till a defined speed right okay. um, if he presses the button before he gets that speed he gets a two second penalty of not being able to work it for two seconds oh wow the button won't activate again for another two so, seconds so if he's if he's under the what, what's the mandated speed uh depend on the on the conditions wet or dry right. currently it's 120k for dry and 140k for wet right okay uh, and if he pushes it before he gets yeah there. so if he's coming out the corner and he presses at 118 He's got two seconds before he can press oh, it again. Wow. And that stops you sitting on the button waiting till waiting. 120 yeah, kicks yeah. in. Yeah, so so there's other penalties involved in the in the in, in, in that <coughs> yes. How have the drivers taken to the system? Um, well like anything new, to start with it's a disaster. <laughs> we don't want to do it and we don't like it. And then they got to Donington and suddenly found that they could get past cars where they've never got past before because yeah. they could pull alongside and then it becomes the best thing since sliced bread. Yes, okay. So and they can use it to attack. Presumably they can use it for defence as yes. well. Yeah. yeah. But the driver doesn't know what the car in front's doing or the car behind's doing. Right. We have two lights on the side of the car for the spectators, which flash blue when when he's pressed the hybrid button. Yeah. But of course the driver ahead can't see that. So if he's being caught and he thinks it's hybrid, he can press his button and keep him from. Yeah. But if he's but using of course if you've got limited numbers, yeah. uh, then you you you've got and actually the limitations depend on the length of the race. Because our circuits vary, we have races up to 25 laps and as low as 12 laps. Yeah. So I we should, have different scales for different length races. I should point out to the listeners as well, we've got a race going on in the background at the moment, so there might be some noise come over the over the mic at the same time. When you moved uh, the batteries into the hybrid cars, obviously they've 
had to bring with them some other uh, risks, such as cooling systems, um, safety cells, etc. What other risks have you had to take into account, materials that you've had to use to protect the driver? Well, the first thing we decided was to keep the low voltage. Right. Um, so we went below 60 volts, which is the definition of high voltage as far as health and safety are concerned, for two reasons, really. One, uh, a lot of our teams have a lot of part-time staff um, and are not on the payroll all week long. And, of course, once you go to HV, they've all got to have HV testing certificates and training certificates, and we thought that was an impossibility to, to manage. And secondly, we're going to places with a hybrid vehicle with electric but have never seen hybrid vehicles before um, and the marshals are very worried at times about high voltage you know formula one we bring all sorts of things formula e they bring all sorts of things with them yeah. to do it uh, we didn't want to have the expense of dragging that all around the country so when, uh, you, when you were saying about that obviously in formula one if if the car comes to a halt at the side of the road they have to wait for the lights to change on the car for safety do we have to do that in, no we don't have to do that here no no, no. Okay. Um, and of course they're on 800 volts we're on 48 volts, so there is a significant difference. 48 volts won't kill you, 800 certainly will. Yes. Um, so that that was that. We um, we copied the the um, hybrids are in GT racing, and we copied their safety cell requirements. So the the box the battery's in has to stand the 60g impact. Okay. Um, and then we added protection in the car between the battery and the outside of the door. Um, we, we, we already have protection between the driver's seat and the outside of the car through the door. We put that on the other side as well, so we, so we protect that, yeah. We also have to keep the battery cold and the motor cold and the controller cold. <coughs> sorry. So we added two batteries. Uh, sorry, two batteries. We added, we added two radiators, uh, one in each corner behind the headlights roughly, or below the headlights. Uh, they're actually quite deter good deterrent to stop you hitting each other a bit more uh, because if you lose your radiator, you could be out of the race. Uh, if you lose hybrid, you will not lose the race. You can still keep going, but you've lost the hybrid. It doesn't stop the 12-volt system uh, working and doesn't stop the engine working. So moving on from the, the hybrid side of things, the, the other change that I understand has happened this year is sustainable fuels. Yep. You brought those in. Were you involved in the... Yeah, we, we went out to tender. Uh, our fuel contract was up. We went out to tender to a renewable fuel. Um, obviously, road cars went to 15% um, earlier in the year. Uh, we decided to go ask for tenders for 15 and 20 or above. Uh, and then on the cost effectiveness and how much renewable it was we selected a, a renewable 20 fuel um, so it, it's it's more renewable than what our road cars are currently using okay and what about fuels to keep motorsport noisy and entertaining um, to the customer to I, the think, I think general motorsport below our sort of level uh, and this package will have to run whatever's in the pumps is there a future for electrification in touring cars in general, do you think? Well, European touring cars have got an uh, electric series. It's currently got six cars in. It's only with manufacturers in it. The cost is pretty prohibitive. I mean, we're, we're a national series where, unless there's big breakthroughs, electric cars won't be viable for quite a while yet. Okay. So we're still going to get all of this noise that we've got at the moment. These current regulations are actually uh, here till the end of 26. Excellent. So where do you see the future going? Do you have any ideas now or are you um, still sort of looking into it? 
I'd be surprised if we'll be full electric. Whether we still have a two-litre engine or go down on size, or whether a two-litre engine is efficiently around still and everybody's quite happy with it, um, with, with more, maybe a more powerful hybrid. The problem you've got is, uh, if you're not careful, um, your engine costs more because you use a smaller engine, uh, you get more, a lot more power out of it to get the same power as we've got now, you stress it more, it costs more, uh, and it's a vicious circle. Yeah, sure. I mean, we a lot of our regulations are really ba based on keeping the cost down. I was just about to say that, we've mentioned cost a few yeah. times. How has cost impacted the teams with these regulations? Well, with the hybrid, we went out to tender for a fixed price lease on the system. Right. So the hybrid system is, is supplied by Cosworth Electronics uh, for a fixed price per year. Okay. Uh, and it's a five-year lease, a five-year deal. So uh, at the end of every year, they have everything back in service it and everybody gets new the next year. And it's 20 grand a season. Yeah. So the teams you know? can budget yes. for that. Yeah. If you let them design it yourself, the cost would be out of this world, even though they'll tell you they're all hard up. Um, the top teams would spend a lot of money, uh, which doesn't make the series viable. Okay, and my last question, thank you for your time, Peter, but the last question is, how important do you think it is for Toka to incentivize and, and have initiative going forward with technology? I don't think we've ever stopped. I think all the way through we've gone to, to follow the trends or try and lead the trends with the hybrid. Uh, we were one of the first series in the world to renounce hybrid. We are one of the first to go on this renewable fuel. Um, so we will continue to follow the trends and be with them and, and whatever. Yeah. Fabulous. Thank you very much for your time. That's been absolutely excellent. Sounds like Save you've got to go. <laughs> Peter, thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today. Join us next time as we explore the materials world even further. In the meantime, there is a wealth of resources on the goodfellow.com website for you to enjoy at your leisure. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. You can access all the information on the website www.materialshub.com forward slash podcast. The images and any case studies mentioned can also be found at goodfellow.com. This podcast is also available on alternative podcast directories, including Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podchaser, Deezer, TuneIn, Overcast, and many more. Whether you're an engineer, academic, university student, or involved with engineering in any way, Engineers Without Borders UK want and need you to be part of this movement to change. Make the commitment to global responsibility today and join the movement by visiting www.ewb-uk.org. My name is uh, Katie Cresswell Maynard. I'm the Chief Executive of Engineers Without Borders UK. So the reason I became an engineer was because I always wanted to do something that would make a difference. That would make a difference to the planet, that would make a difference to the people that live on this planet. Not just today, but for generations to come. And for me, engineering was exactly that. Uh, I could see that I could use both the creative side of my mind as well as my, uh, my interest for science and, and maths, um, but bring them together in a way that I could actually focus all of my attention on making the world a better place. At Engineers Without Borders, a big part of what we do is about putting global responsibility at the heart of engineering decision making. The reason that we think this is important is because engineering is actually a uniquely global profession. The decisions of engineers, wherever they're working, whatever projects they're working on, and wherever those projects are, have both a local and global impact. 
especially if we think about civil engineers. So if you think about what a civil engineer does, the type of projects they work on, just down to the very materials that they source to build the buildings that, they, uh, that they've designed, those materials will have been dug out of the ground somewhere else in the world and had both environmental and social impact. So much so that apparently, we, as in human beings, are responsible for moving more natural resources every single year than nature itself. I think that's amazing, I think that's inspiring, but along with that comes a great sense of responsibility. And so if you're interested in making a difference to change the lives of people now and in years to come, then why don't you also consider becoming one of these invisible superheroes? Become an engineer and make a difference.